Would you guys put your hands together for Andrew Montoya? Yeah. Yeah. So, Andrew may be a new face, although I don't think he is for many of us, but he serves him and his wife as senior leaders here at Hilltop Church. And you've been doing that for how long, Andrew? Uh, it's been a year now. A year. Come on. Hopefully there's more of those years to come. Guys, we're going to pray for our hearts. We're going to pray for Andrew as he um, gives us the word today. Can we do that? Could you bow your heads? Father, we thank you for uh, this precious gift um, that you've sent this body. Uh, Lord, today um, we ask, God, that your spirit would rest upon him uh, as he delivers the word. God, I ask, Lord, that you'd loose his tongue to speak your heart today here in this place. But, Lord, I pray for our ears as well. I pray that our ears would be open and our hearts would receive your word today, that we might be changed and transformed into the image of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Guys, could you put your hands together one more time for Andrew Montoya? Good morning, good morning. If I can get that turned down a bit, I think I sound a bit loud. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, as Pastor Darrell mentioned, my name's Andrew, and um, we've actually been coming to Hilltop Church for about two and a half years now. Uh, my lovely wife, who was the lady singing there in worship, um, we uh, moved up from Florida about three years. Yeah, it's three years now. Uh, we moved up to, uh, from Florida uh, to Boston. Um, and it's been an awesome journey. It's been a wild journey. But um, uh, before I get into my word, I just want to um, acknowledge, actually, uh, Pastor Daryl and Pastor Bethany. Um, you guys probably know, but today's Pastor Appreciation Day. So uh, I just want to throw some appreciation towards uh, Pastor Daryl and the work that you and Bethany have done here at Hilltop. Um, I was actually taking a uh, personality test the other day. We had a friend come over to my house. And um, she was like, hey, have you ever taken a personality test before? I was like, yeah, definitely I have. And um, so she uh, had me take the Myers-Briggs personality test. Anyone here taken that before? I think probably the whole world has by now. Um, I'm not for it or against it, so don't come at me at the end of the service if you think it's witchcraft. I'm not, I'm not so don't come at me. But um, I took the personality test, and uh, my results were surprising to me. Um, my whole life I had been an INTJ, but I took this personality test and I was an ENFP. Anyone else an INTJ in here? There's got to, okay, there you are, Phil. All right, I see you. To me, that was shocking because I'd always been my whole life an INTJ. So I told my friend, you know what? Actually, this is wrong. I don't accept these results. I'm going to take it again. That's the devil lying to me. So I took the test again. And unfortunately, it came back as ENFP again. And uh, at that point, I was like, you know what? I have it. Uh, I, I don't accept these results. So I'm going to take the test again, but answer completely different than what I have been the last two times. And uh, finally, it came back as INTJ. And I was extremely proud of that. But I was actually uh, reflecting on that uh, since the last couple of days, like the results of my ENFP. I took it twice. And uh, once might be an accident, twice uh, there might be some truth to it. So um, I, I took the, I was just meditating with God on the results of it. And he, he reminded me of when I was a child. I used to be an extremely outgoing child. Like in first grade, second grade, I was that troublemaker in the class, uh, yelling, just, just trying to have a good time. But then in the second grade, the most awkward thing in my life happened. I was uh, being a bit loud in the back of the room, and I was talking to one of my classmates. 
And then the teacher just yelled at me. And I was like, Andrew, shut up. I don't know if you guys have ever been yelled in class, but when you have a bunch of 10, 11, 12 kids, your same age laughing at you, that's a bit humiliating. So ever since then, I kind of became, I was an introvert. I never would talk in class. I would always stay to myself and mind my own business. And that was pretty much my whole life um, before moving here to Boston. I was an introvert. I, I didn't care about relationships with other people. Um, I was proud of that INTJ. And I was, as I was reflecting on those results, the Lord re- brought to my heart that, hey, the reason why you're an ENFP is because that's how I created you, to be an ENFP. The reason why you were an INTJ is because you were hurt and you were never healed from that hurt. But what the Lord revealed to me was that my wife can tell you, I'm, uh, before moving here to Florida, I mean to Boston, I was uh, always very quiet. But then, as, and she was the outgoing, the more loud, the one laughing very obnoxiously. That, that's my wife. Um, it's been like that the whole, my whole life, the, our whole marriage, and that's why I married her, because she's completely different than I. But as we moved here to Boston, and as I started to get involved here at Hilltop, I started to see my, my character change. I started to see my personality change to where now I'm actually the more outgoing one. I'm the more boisterous one. I've basically become my wife. And, but um, not really. <laughs> That'd be weird. Um, but pretty much I've become, again, who I first was or who I was created to be. And the Lord revealed to me that it's because of the healing I've received here at Hilltop Church. So my healing and just the atmosphere and the culture that Pastor Daryl and Bethany have created here at Hilltop, I've been, I've been healed because of what they're doing here. And I believe many of us have received healing as well because of the ministry that Pastor Daryl uh, and Bethany are doing. So I just wanted to say, Daryl, thank you so much uh, for saying yes to the call. As the song that we sung earlier, that was like, yes, uh, my, my yes is yes, send me. Um, I just want to thank you so much for um, saying yes to coming here to Cambridge and doing the work that you and Bethany are doing. I've been healed. My life has been transformed. And many in here have as well. So. I just want to thank you. If we can give Pastor Daryl an applause for all the work that they do. Amen. So thank you so much, Pastor Daryl. And um, so, yeah, I just wanted to share you guys uh, with you guys real quick. So as Pastor Daryl mentioned, a worthiness worth spreading, the fuel needed for City missions, excuse me. So uh, this message series came about as uh, we were just just meditating with God and just seeking God, what is it that you're doing in the midst of our church? And I believe many of us throughout this year have, our hearts have begun to break at a deeper level of looking at the needs of the world around us. Like we're seeing death to our left, death to our right. We're seeing poverty increasing. We're seeing people struggling in a way in which we've not seen before. And I believe because of that, many of our hearts are turning to the fact that, that this gift that we have, Christ, this person who died for us and transformed our life, has been the answer to our life 
And if he's been the answer to my life, he's the answer to the lives of the people around me. So, I, so this sermon series has been of the, as a result of the fruit of just so many hearts really starting to burn. Like, Lord, I have a gift. Use me. Use me to change my city, to change my community, to change my workplace, to change my school. So I'm extremely excited for this sermon series. And uh, as it says, the fuel needed for city missions. That is kind of what I'm going to go into today. What is that fuel that, that we need for city missions? So before I get into the word, I kind of want to share a bit about myself to you guys. So you get to know me and just, just know me a bit because I'm a complete stranger to many of you. So I just want to share with you uh, my testimony a bit. And in sharing my testimony, my hope is that if any of you are struggling with the things that I struggled before with, my prayer is that through me sharing this testimony, your faith will increase, that God can do the same thing for you as he did for me. So I was... Um, an atheist for the first 22 years of my life. Um, I was one of those atheists that mocked Christians. I had a couple of Christian people around me uh, growing up, not many, but there were a few, and uh, they would always talk to me about Jesus, but uh, I just mocked them. Um, I was like, no, you're wrong, bro. Um, The fact that you believe in someone you can't see, it's a bit weird, so get away from me. I don't want that weirdness. Um, So I just mocked Christians. Uh, I was Yeah, it just didn't make sense to me. How can there be a God when there's so much evil in this world? How can there be a God who loves when I've been through so much in my own life? The fruits of my life are, 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 are not indicative of the love of God. So people come up to me, share Jesus with me, and I'd be like, no, I ain't having it. Not today. Get away from me. So I grew up um, in a lot of just... Uh, poverty, violence, uh, abuse, um, drugs, depression, you name it, I've been through it. And um, life was tough for me. Uh, Life was very tough. Because of how tough life was, I didn't have a relationship with my parents. So there's years in which I didn't speak to my parents because of, uh, to be honest with you, my hate towards them. Um, Just because of everything that happened growing up. So I grew up from and lived in what I think, or at least what I thought then, was the pits of hell. Uh, just seeing things that a young kid should, should not have to see. But then at the age of 17, I, got, I, was, I left the house. And um, I was like, you know what? It's my life. I'm going to do with my life what I want to do. So as a 17-year-old, I started to um, hustle uh, in more ways than one. Um, I got a job at a financial institution, a very well-respectable financial institution, uh, turned 18, um, moving up the ladder uh, in the workplace, uh, starting to build wealth for myself, starting to have friends, starting to go to nice restaurants, go to clubs. I I felt like I was on the come up from where I started. As that Drake song started from the bottom, now I'm here. That's literally how I felt. Um, Bad choice uh, reference a song, but... I assumed most of you have heard it. Um, <laughs> so that, that, that was me, 18-year-old, 19-year-old. I had everything that the world could offer. I was making more money. I was having fun with girls. I was going to clubs. You name it, I was doing it. And, but I was also living a double life. 
the world saw me as one thing. I had directors from this financial institution look at me and be like, wow, look at Andrew. Keep an eye out for Andrew. This kid has all the potential in the world. He's going to be a vice president one day of this company. But little did they know that on the side, I was dealing drugs out of this financial institution. Little did they know, um, it's probably sharing too much, but I'm just, <laughs> little did they know that I was actually stealing from this institution. So I was living a double life. I, I was, the world saw me as, wow, Andrew, this amazing man, this go-getter, uh, this, this dude who we have to keep an eye out for because he's going to be so important in the world. And then on the other end, I was dealing drugs, doing drugs, stealing, and um, I was just living a double life. And um, that was kind of the, that, I'm sharing that with you to kind of illustrate to you the, 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 the depravity in which I was in, the, the struggles that I was in. I was 20-year-old, just living the life. Um, but then suddenly at the age of 20, um, I lived down in Florida, and this moment that I'm about to share with you guys is the most shameful moment of my life, but then also the moment that actually set me on a different trajectory in life. So I was uh, 20 years old, and um, I was... Uh, just getting out of work, and um, I was going to meet up with a friend, um, the, the guy who introduced me into drugs and dealing drugs and all that. So I, I went to go hang out with him, and he was like, hey, let's go make this deal real quick. So I was like, sure, let's do it. I want the money. So uh, we went, and, and we went, and it was about a, a block away from his house. So we went and made the deal, and then as soon as we left and sold what we were going to sell to, to the lady that we sold it to. On the way back, about a couple blocks from where we made the sell, the cops stop us. The sirens turned on, and I'm in the back seat about to, excuse my language, but poop my pants. Um, I was extremely scared. The cops stopping us, did they see us make this drug deal? Oh, why are they stopping us? So they pull us over. And um, long story short, they took all of us out, handcuffed us, and put us on the corner of the road. This road that we were on is probably one of the busiest streets of the town that I lived in. And I was in my three-piece suit in handcuffs on the corner. This street that we were on was a street that many of my clients drove by on, on a daily basis. I had never felt so ashamed. This was the intersection of my public life and my private life in the worst way. So I just sat there with my head down, trying not to cry because then I'd look weak in front of uh, my friends there. And that's the last thing you want to look is weak. So I held in my tears and it was about 10, 15 minutes as the cops just searched the car. And um, they found drug paraphernalia in the car. And then um, they asked us, whose is it? Whose is this? Whose is this? Whose drugs is it? And if you grew up in those type of um, environments, you know, be quiet. Snitches get stitches. So you don't snitch. You keep quiet. And good luck to the cops trying to uh, put it, uh, the blame on someone, pinpoint the, the drugs belong to someone. So that is the status quo. I was keeping quiet. My friend was keeping quiet. My other friend was keeping quiet. But then after about 10 minutes, my friend turns to me and he was like, 
Andrew, you have a future. I'm going to take the blame. Shut your mouth. Don't say anything. And I told him, no, no. But he was like, no, I can't let you take the blame for this. So he took the blame for it. And he ended up going to jail for a year. And then my other buddy ended up going to jail for three months. And that moment changed my life. It made me have a, a, a coming to Jesus moment in the sense to where I was like, wow, I'm living a double life. And this double life is exhausting. This double life is leading me to places that I never imagined I would go, which would be jail. I never want to be in this position again. And this dude, my best friend, took the, the fall for, for what we did. And that, that changed my life. I was like, do you know what? No one has ever done something like that for me. So I'm going to change my life. So I stopped dealing drugs and then um, worked, at, worked at the bank, continued moving up, got a promotion, moved to the uh, other side of the state and then, um, so I lived at Miami in that time. And if any of you know anything about Miami, it's, a, it's Sin City of the East, really. <laughs> With whatever you want, uh, you can do it down there. So I lived in the area. I was getting promoted at work. Um, I was having the time of my life. Uh, wealth, drugs, clubs, you name it, I had it. I thought I was on the top of the world as a 21-year-old. What more could you ask for? I had everything that I felt like every 20, 21-year-old was pursuing. A career, money, friends, good times. I had it all. But yet, every single night, I would go to bed with an empty heart. With this huge hole in my heart that could not be filled no matter how much I drank, no matter how much I smoked, no matter what I did, that emptiness was always there. So fast forward a bit, uh, a random day in January of 2014, I uh, suddenly get this huge heavy burden in my heart telling me, you got to move to Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, if any of you know anything about Florida, Jacksonville is not really a city that you go move to. You actually move away from it because it has nothing to offer. Um, so this burden just out of nowhere, like move to Jacksonville, Florida, move to Jacksonville, Florida. As the day went on, the feeling got stronger, this burden in my heart, move to Jacksonville, Florida. I had no idea why I was living the life in Miami, but as the day went on, it got stronger. Move to Jacksonville, move to Jacksonville. I had never been there before. I had a cousin that I barely spoke to that lived there and that's it. Um, so the day went on and I could not shake that burden or that, 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 that voice inside of my heart telling me, move to Jacksonville, Florida. So I slept on it. And then the next day, um, the burden increased. That voice just increased. The magnitude, the loudness of it increased. You got to move to Jacksonville. So I shared it with my family. as like, hey, I don't know what it is, but I got to move to Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, they're like, no, you're crazy. Don't. You have a good career here. You have family here. You have, you have everything that you need here. Don't go to Jacksonville. But I was like, no, I'm sorry. This burden is getting stronger. I got to go. I don't know what it is, but I have to go. So that same day, I um, applied to a job. And long story short, I moved to Jacksonville, Florida a week later with nowhere to live, uh, nowhere to go, did not know anyone. But 
that burden was just so strong, I had to move to Jacksonville. So I moved to Jacksonville, Florida, and then that's where I met my amazing wife, uh, Karen. But we weren't married at that time. <laughs> I, I didn't know her. <laughs> but I moved to Jacksonville, and that's where I met my wife. And then, um, long story short, because I'll finish the story at the end, I uh, eventually gave my life to Christ three months later. After being an atheist for 22 years, I encountered the Lord in such a powerful way in Jacksonville, Florida, that I knew I was immediately transformed. And then I gave my life to Christ. The first time I stepped into church, it was a Portuguese, Spanish church. Uh, I'm Colombian, but I barely spoke, I barely speak Spanish. Um, so they're speaking Spanish, but with Portuguese words mixed in. So I was extremely confused. What is going on in this church? They shout in things that I have no idea what they're talking about. So I'm just sitting there, the odd man out, the only one who's not understanding anything. Uh, they're singing songs of worship in a language I didn't know. The pastor's his, doing his best to preach in Spanish, even though it's not Spanish. And then I have no idea what's going on. But after that service, after the worship finished, the pastor finished preaching, everyone in that church surrounded me. They surrounded me were like, hey, who are you? What's your name? Where you're from? What, what, what's your life about? I want to get to know you. And that was literally the first time in my life that some random stranger had ever took an interest in who I am. That's the first time in my life that I had ever experienced unconditional love in my life. I was wrecked after I left church that day. I was, I was like, them people were weird. But I don't know, I felt, I felt a warmness. I felt uh, just a joy that I had never felt before. So I went to bed that night just extremely excited. Uh, I was invited to church the next day. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go. I don't believe in what you believe in, but I felt different that day when I arrived. So if I felt different, maybe I'll feel different again the next day I show up. So I showed up the next day. Actually, the night before, um, that same night, I went home and um, I went to bed. But I suffered with with lack of sleep, with insomnia. I suffered with fear as I went to bed. For the first 22 years of my life, I needed to sleep with the light on and with someone else in the room because of how scared of the dark I was. Whenever I would go to bed, I felt this, this weird heaviness in the room, like if there's someone on the corner just watching me. And because of that, I could not sleep at all for the first 22 years of my life. But that night that I, that, I, that I went to bed, I turned the lights off and I woke up the next morning after a good eight hours of sleep and I realized, what is this? I had no fear. I slept with the lights off. The depression I was struggling with prior to that night, I was actually, I have it no more. What is this? This, this desire to want to smoke weed was there no more. 
Like, how did I have these feelings one day and then the next day I had these desires no more? No longer fear of the dark, no longer the desire for drugs, no longer that depression that had me having suicidal thoughts. What is this? I had no point of reference to explain what it was that I encountered. All I knew was that I went to church the previous night. I felt different. I felt transformed, a new person the next day. So I better go to church the next day as well. And praise the Lord, I did. And the rest is history. I've been following the Lord with everything that I have now for the last seven years. And it was all because of that one day, that one encounter that transformed me and changed me and set me free from so many things. And I don't know if any of you are struggling with depression, if any of you are struggling with addiction to anything, if any of you are struggling with fear, I am here to tell you that Christ is able and he is willing to set you free. I was not seeking God at all. But God met me in my brokenness and set me free. His spirit chased me from, Jack, from Miami, Florida to Jacksonville, Florida. Each and every single one of you are here today because the spirit led you here and brought you to the place of repentance and brought you to the place of surrendering to Jesus. So if you need breakthrough, there is breakthrough available for you. For that is our God. That is what Christ does. He is is a working power God. He works miracles. He transforms situations that no man can transform. So if you're in need today, receive what the Lord has for you, which is freedom. Christ came to set the captives free. So my life has been transformed by Christ. And that is why I'm here before you today. Because I encountered this love like no other. This love that transcends all understanding. This love that can mend the most broken of hearts. That is the love of Christ. And he is here today inviting you to commune with him. To have fellowship with him. Whatever you lack, he has the answer for it. He can fulfill that need. So I gave my life to Christ. And, and as most of us, when we first give our lives to Christ, we're like on fire for God. Like everywhere and anywhere we go, we want to proclaim the good news. Like, hey, Jesus loves you, stranger. Like, hey, homeless person. Um, <laughs> never mind, that's another thought there. But hey, here's some food. Jesus loves you. I love you. You go everywhere sharing the love of Christ. That was my life when I first surrendered to Christ. I was like, I've been transformed. I see other people struggling, other people broken. They need what I received, which is Christ. So I'm going to share it with them. And that was my life for like the first six months, just sharing Christ as much as I can. And then life got tough. Life got tough. Can any of you guys relate? You've been on fire for the Lord and then the difficulties of life hit you. 
and then you forget about this man who transformed you and saved you and you stop sharing him? Well, that's kind of what happened to me. Six months in, I'm just going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm sharing, I'm sharing, I'm sharing. What do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? And then I got burnt out. I got burnt out. And then I start reading the lives of the apostles all throughout the New Testament. Like reading the life of Stephen, getting martyred for being bold in truth. Seeing the life of Paul and Silas and getting arrested and being declared those are the ones who turned the world upside down. So I'm reading all these stories and I'm like, why is my life not looking like theirs? Why are my fruits not looking like theirs? I'm doing what I feel like I have to do, which is share your good news, which is share your gospel, which is be loved to the people around me but why am I struggling I read the lives of the apostles and they were so bold so on mission so on fire for God to the point of death and I'm like why what would cause someone or people to be so on fire to God to where they're willing to die for him. Why? What would lead the disciples to declare the good news and the arrival of the kingdom of God until death? Didn't they have struggles in life? Didn't they go through things? They did. (laughs) But what's different between them and between me? So as I reflected on this dry season, on this season of, of like, do you know what? Actually, I don't want to share my faith. I'm tired. I reflected with the Lord, why? Why am I feeling this way? And he was like, because you're doing it under your own strength. You're doing it from a place that I never called you to do it from, which is by yourself. I've called you to do it with me. And as I reflect on the lives of the disciples, I ask myself, what was that thing that caused them to go to their death? And I believe it was the revelation of the worthiness of Christ and the glory of him and the power of his spirit that led them in all seasons to go to their death. They saw how worthy Christ was. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, revealed to them that Christ is worthy. We see if throughout all of the New Testament, the declaration of the worthiness of of Christ, we see it all through Revelation, declaring Christ is worthy, only Christ is worthy. So the fuel behind their fire was the revelation of the worthiness of Christ, which led them to be led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, to do the works of God, even unto death. So I want to read real quick for you guys, Revelation 5. It'd be helpful if I had actually pulled up on my computer. So Revelation 5, and we will go to um, verse 8. Revelation 5, verse 8. 
So just to give you a bit of context of what's going on. So John the Beloved is taken by the Lord into this magical place, uh, third heaven, where he's receiving these vivid and wild uh, revelations from God. The Lord's showing him crazy things. So in Revelation 5, um, he's before uh, the strong angel. And the strong angel is proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? So the scroll essentially carries the plans of the Lord for this world. So who is worthy of opening it and loosing the seals? And then John says, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much. He wept. John wept realizing, wow, I'm not worthy of opening these scrolls. Wow, I need salvation myself. Wow, I am weak. I am a sinner. There's no hope for us. None of us are worthy in this world of opening that scroll. But then the angel says to him, and I, I love this so much. He wept, but one of the elders said to him, do not weep. Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. So I am here today before you. If you've been weeping, looking at the world, looking at the darkness of the world, wondering, Lord, is there a solution? Is there anyone worthy of saving this world? Well, I'm here to declare to you that there is. And that is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is worthy of saving the world because he walked like a perfect man. He paid the ultimate price. He died at the cross for our sins of the world, even though he was not deserving of it so he is worthy so as you weep I remind you that Christ is worthy and he will restore all things back to its original creation and then they sang a new song verse 9 you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. So I don't know about you guys, but when the word speaks something, I take it at face value. The book of Revelation is a revealing of what is to come. So if you're weeping or disheartened, oh, read these verses and meditate on it. Meditate on them because it'll stir something within you. It'll stir a fire within you. It'll stir something like, hey, this world might be, might be struggling. There might be ugly things around me, but there is one who is worthy. There is one who will transform. There is one who's coming back in whom every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will worship. He's made us kings and priests to our God. 
That blows my mind. Us as wicked people, as sinners, as imperfect people, as broken vessels, yet through his blood, we are made priests and kings before God. And we shall reign on the earth. That is why Christ is worthy. Because he was slain for the sins of the world. But because of his death and resurrection, he has redeemed us and reconciled us back to God. And the revelation of that cross is the fuel that will sustain you to city missions, is the fuel that will sustain you, that the world might be falling around me, but I will continue this race because that cross is worth it. He paid a price for me, therefore I will pay a price as well. That is the fuel behind the Christian life, the cross. And to be honest with you, it burdens my heart. It burdens my heart a bit to see how we've diminished the power of the cross. How we've diminished the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at that cross. We've easily made the Christian life about more than or Jesus and. And that grieves me and I'm sure it grieves God. So Christ is worthy. Christ is the fuel, his spirit, the empowering of his spirit that was given to us at the day of Pentecost. It's just given to us. And when we say yes to Christ, his spirit is what fuels us, empowers us to complete the good works that Christ already has for us. It is by him and through him in which we complete the works that God has for us. You can try to do it underneath your own strength, but beloved, let my life be a witness. You're going to burn out. You're going to get tired. The struggles of this life are going to get to you. But if you keep your mind on the cross, on the preciousness, on the beauty, on the worthiness of Jesus, no matter what you're going through, yes, Lord, I will do it. Yes, Lord, you are worthy of this pain. You're worthy of me sacrificing everything, my dreams, my plans. You're worth it all because I receive so much more in return. So I was praying this uh, week for uh, today's service. I just really, um, I felt like the Lord wants to remind some of us or give some of us a deeper revelation of who Christ is. So I'm gonna read for you real quick, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. You don't have to turn to it. I'm just reading real quick. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards uh, all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. So this is uh, Paul um, talking to the Ephesus church. That God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart 
enlightened. There's some of us in this room today who have been toiling in the grounds of Boston for a while, who've been toiling in that, in, in that work that God's called you to do, and you're getting burnt out. Well, my prayer for you today and what God wants to give to you today is the prayer that Paul was lifting up for the Ephesus church as they were walking in faith, as they were doing good works. He still prayed for them to have a deeper revelation of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And I declare to you today that if you're hungry, that is available for you. The revelation of wisdom and knowledge of God. He wants to reveal himself to you today. Amen. So um, that's actually my intro. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, as I was just... As I was praying this week, the Lord just stored a lot. So uh, let me get through the rest real quick. Um, so if we can turn to Luke 4, uh, 16 through 21, that'll be the main verses uh, for today. I promise, Pastor Daryl, uh, I'll, I'll be quick. So as the sermon series says, uh, life on mission, said fuel behind city missions. So in this sermon series, obviously we're going after being a more missional community, a more missional church. So as Daryl shared last week, the, that in order to be first become missional, we must actually first surrender all to Christ. That the only way we can fully be missional and love the world as Christ loves the world is by surrendering, surrendering all to Jesus. And he exhorted us to surrender all to Jesus because he's worthy. So now I just want to talk to you today a little bit about the mission that our king is currently on. The reason why he came here to this world. And my desire is for each and every single one of us to realize that this work that we're doing, that this unction that each and every single one of us have to change the world and transform the world, that it comes from Christ. And as believers of Christ, all we have to do is just follow the king who is on mission. So if you don't take anything else from today, I hope you guys remember and the Lord imparts on you that, hey, the works you're trying to do, they're in the heart of Christ as well. He wants to fulfill them as well. And all you have to do is just follow him and he'll lead you into the works that he has for you. So Luke 4, 16, 21. So something that I've struggled with, to be honest with you guys, um, in, in regards to sharing my faith or being a testimony to Christ is just, yeah, really seeing the brokenness of this world. Uh, seeing people struggle with depression for 15, 20 years, um, seeing people innocently um, being murdered, all, all the ugliness of the world that we all see on the day-to-day. -day. It's something that I've struggled with, and, and I've asked myself, is Christ actually enough? Is he enough for the world's problems of today? Like, is he enough? 
I believe I'm not the only one in this room who's asked those questions. Is Christ enough for my broken marriage? Is Christ enough for my depression? Is Christ enough for my sickness that I've been dealing with for years? Is Christ enough for, the, the, for the, the, just the brokenness of the friends and family around me? Is Christ enough? Am I the only one who's asked that question here? I hope not. I'm going to assume everyone's asked it. And especially now in the world that we are in, especially in, in Boston, where it's, it's tough to share your faith. Or it's one of those things where you're like rebuked because your beliefs are antiquated. Um, why are you sharing your faith with me? There's, it's, there's this aggressive nature towards the gospel and against the gospel here in Boston, which I didn't see in Florida. In Florida, everyone's culturally a Christian. So whether you actually believe in Christ or not, you say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I went to church 20 years ago. I pray every blue moon. Like that, that's the culture of the South. It's just we're all culturally Christian. But when I moved up here to Florida, I actually, I was scared because everyone would tell me, why would you go to Boston? It is the graveyard for churches. The churches are dead. People don't love God. People actually hate you for loving God. So why would you go to Boston when you have it so good here in the South? I asked myself the same question, but the Lord told me to come, so I came. But that is the reality of society here in Boston and growing across the whole country. So increasing numbers of people now see the church as bad for people and a major obstacle to social progress. Traditional Christian beliefs about uh, sexual identity, gender, are being viewed as dangerous and restrictive of people's basic civil rights. The Church of Christ is no longer a place of hope or healing to the outside world. And many of us ask ourselves, is Christ actually enough for the problems of today? The scriptures are antiquated, so Jesus wouldn't understand what I'm facing, what we're facing as a society today. Well, I just want to share something real quick with you guys. <laughs> that is a lie. What Jesus faced is actually just as bad, if not worse, than what we face today, where society was ruled completely by idolatry to all these different gods, to this Roman, to this Roman empire. There is so much we think of division in the church today, <laughs> ain't nothing compared to when Jesus walked on the earth and division amongst the different sects. Sects, you, you get what I'm trying to say. I ain't trying to say that other word. Um, So that, that thought that Christ cannot can empathize with me, that Christ doesn't understand what I'm going through, that Christ is not enough for the world's problems today is a complete lie because what he walked in and walked through was way worse than what we walk through today. And if he was the answer yesterday, he will be the answer today and for the rest of eternity. Christ is enough. He is the answer. There is good news available to all today who would listen to him. For what Christ did for me, he has done for many and will continue to do for many. The answer to the world's problem today as it was yesterday is Christ. Because he is a king on mission.
So let's read real quick Luke 4, 16. I promise, Pastor Daryl, I'm almost done. So the context before Jesus went through uh, the temptations and um, overcame the devil, praise the Lord. Um, so he went through his, uh, the temptations, the season of temptation going through, through the desert. And he preached in, in, uh, in uh, let me see here, uh, in Galilee, and now he's moved on to Nazareth. So Nazareth is where he's from, where he was born. So verse 16 says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Boy, was that dangerous. (laughs) Only if they knew who was in front of them, they would have not given him the scroll of Isaiah, which literally just prophesies about who he is. So it was given to him and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set liberty to those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Wow. But this next two verses are my favorite and it blows my mind and I wish I was there to see it. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. <laughs> they didn't even say nothing. <laughs> Just kept silent, went back to his chair. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I don't think there's ever any greater boss move than that. Because you have to keep in mind the king or the Messiah who the Jewish people thought was coming back was completely different than this king that sat in front of them. He did not fit their description. So him, the audacity to say that today the scripture has been filled in your hearing is wild. That would be like me saying to the whole world, hey, I'm the Messiah. I came here to save you. You look at me like, yeah, right, bro. That ain't you because I know you and I know your past and I know know the things you've been through and you do that you ain't my Messiah. So imagine the confidence that Christ had in his calling, in his mission to where he would stand before them and declare, I am the fulfillment of these words. I am the one who the spirit is upon because I've been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. Because I've been been, uh, been anointed and sent to proclaim liberty to the captives. 
to reco- of recovery to heal the sick, the blind, to set the oppressed free. That takes confidence to announce. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words of the coming from his, that were coming from his mouth. Beloved, that is the mission of Christ. Luke 4.16, and you have countless verses all throughout the New Testament. But Christ came to seek and save that which was lost. And that that was lost was you, 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 me. We were lost and he came to seek us. And he continues seeking the lost. As many of us pray and know that the Lord's desire is that none shall perish. That is the mission of Christ. He came to restore and reconcile the, the, God's creation back to the creator, back to the father. Through the repentance of our sin. And accepting Christ as our savior, we're being reconciled back unto the father. That is the mission of Christ. And you ask, why is he a king on mission? Because of love. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Love is the motivating factor of why Christ came, why the Father sent Christ and Christ went to the cross. I don't know if you guys have realized, but, or you've read probably in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus is preparing for that day of his death, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And three times he's asking the Lord to let this cup pass by me. His spirit was grieved. He knew the shame. He knew the pain. He knew what he had to do. And because he had to do it, it grieved him because he knew, he knew how much it would hurt. Literally become the ridicule of society while he stood there on that cross. While he hanged there on that cross. Being mocked. So his spirit grieved. And he was like, Father, take this cup. Let it pass by me. Not just once, twice, but three times. But because he knew why he was sent here. He knew because he was a king on mission and out of his love for his father, he said, let your will be done, not mine. That is the king that we follow. That is the king on mission who's saving the world. One who would, who would, who would go at all costs give up his life even though he did not want to do it, but yet he did it. This is our precious king that we serve. So he's a king on mission. And you ask yourselves, cool, he's a king on mission. What's my role? Well, if God has forgiven you and entered your life, two of your primary jobs on earth are love God and your neighbor. Great commandment, Matthew 22. And then tell people about Jesus, the great commission. 
As Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. John 20. This work that Christ is doing in the world around us, the revival that he wants to bring in the city of Boston, the lives that he wants to transform, it is done through us because we are now his ambassadors. When we gave our life to him, we no longer have a right to say no to his will, to his desire for our life. And these verses are explicitly clear that his desire is for you, you and you to love God and your neighbor and to share. Share Jesus with the world. As the Father sent me, so I send you. So we have an invitation today. Each and every single one of us who professes faith in Christ Jesus. We have an invitation to hold on to the hands of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and follow the work that he's been doing since he walked the earth and has been establishing for the rest of time through his death and resurrection, which is to bring his kingdom here on earth through the salvation of the lost. So each and every single one of us are commanded and invited to become a missional people. And the fuel to becoming missional is just the revelation of the worthiness and the greatness of Christ. And the fact that because he's worthy, my life is now his. My life, his mission. So I'm going to just end it here. If we can get the keys, whoever plays the keys. to uh, We're going to get charismatic and Pentecostal in here. Good charismatic church has some keys player in the background, so we're going to do it. So practicals. So you, each and every single one of you, are called to do what Paul and Silas did which was turn the world upside down through the proclamation of the gospel and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. So lots of times we think of this looking like as evangelism, going into the streets to proclaim, to share something with complete strangers. Well, beloved, it is more than just that. That is a part of it and it's a crucial part of it, but it is more than just street evangelism. So me coming to Christ was a result of someone else saying yes to being missional. And that other person was my wife. She was my trainer at that point. We, I didn't know her. She was just training me in this new job that I had gotten in Jacksonville, Florida. And I would see her sharing the love of God with other people in, in the workplace. Like everyone knew, Karen, she's a Christian. She loves Jesus. Don't go near her because she will share Jesus. So 
so she invited me to church one day. I was like, no, I'm not about that life. She invited me a second time. I was like, no, I'm busy with school. She invited me a third time. I was like, no. Three times she invited me to church. But because I had developed a friendship with her, because I saw how cool and how loving she was, she asked me a fourth time, hey, come to church. I was like, sure, because I think you're cool. I'll go one time so I can get you off my back. Little did I know that that day that I went to church for the first time, that my life would be transformed for the rest of my history. My trajectory was changed that day that I stepped in church. So my life is the fruit of my wife who at that time was not my wife. She was just a friend. But, but who was like, I have this gift. I have this relationship with this man, Jesus, who's transformed me, who's kept me, who's, who's been with me. I have this gift, so I want to share it with everyone in work. And she still does it to this day. Whatever she works, she shares Jesus. She builds relationships with people. She loves on them. And when an opportunity presents itself, she shares Christ. She shares the love of Christ constantly, invites people to church. She's the greatest workplace evangelist I know. Day in and day, she's constantly sharing Jesus at work. And for many of us, the workplace is a no-no. I want to keep my, my, my faith in my workplace separated. Well, Jesus is calling you today to actually no longer do that, but to bring him into your workplace. So how do I become missional? First way is to pray and ask God for his heart. Ask him for his heart. Ask him for his heart for the lost. Ask him for his heart for the things that, that breaks his heart. Ask him for the things that he loves, the things that he hates. Just ask him for his heart. He loves to reveal himself to those who seek and ask. Many of us, many of us probably don't know the heart of God because we've not yet asked. As the scriptural verse goes, you have not because you ask not. Well, you have an invitation today to ask God, show me your heart and he will reveal his heart to you. Number two, receive vision. I've been sustained and kept and continue going because of vision. The word has become my vision. What I read scripturally has become my vision, has become my pursuit, has become what I seek, has become my expectation. So you wanna receive vision to become missional? Read the word of God. It's as simple as that. Thirdly, love. Love on your friends. Love on your family. Love on your co-workers. Love on them. Share the love of Christ. The first two will, 
will give you the heart to fulfill the first commandment, which is to love the Lord God with all your heart. And then the second, and from the fruit of that, you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. So love, share the love of Christ. Love on your enemies. Love on those who share different opinions than you. Love on those who persecute you. Jesus didn't want to pay the price. It anguished him to pay the price, but he did so knowing that, he, that, 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 that was his mission. So what price are you willing to pay to love on your neighbor? Whatever that price is, it's worth it. Because your relationship with them might be the only relationship they have in which they can experience the love of Christ. You might be the doorway to the kingdom of heaven for that person. Testify. We hear clearly throughout scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, testify of the good works of Christ. Testify of what, of what the Lord's done for you. There's no greater witness to the world than a transformed life. So testify to the world. Christ did this for me. He set me free from drugs. He set me free from depression. Testify to the world. You have something to share, to testify about. You've been saved. You have eternal life. Oh, what a great gift that is and the testimony that is. So testify to your friends in the workplace. Testify everywhere of the works of God. And then finally, invite and share. Invite people into your life. Do life with other people. I've actually been reflecting on my own life over the last couple of months and taking account for the relationships that I have. And I've realized that I actually don't have that many relationships with non-Christians, especially since the pandemic started, I'm working from home. I've never met my coworkers. How do I expect to save the lost if I don't do life with the lost? So invite people who don't know Christ into your life and do life with them. And when the opportunity presents itself, share Christ. Like, oh, I see you're struggling in your marriage. Well, there's hope in Christ. He did this for me. Oh, I've seen Christ do this in the marriage of someone else. You see someone struggling with depression. You see someone struggling with whatever it is. Oh, I've seen Christ do this. Oh, this is why Christ came. Oh, this is what Christ did in me. So testify, invite, and share with God. How do we expect people to come into the kingdom if we're not opening our mouths to share the kingdom? So pray and ask God for his heart. Receive vision by reading the word day in and day out. Love your neighbors as you love yourself. Testify of the works of Christ in your life and invite people in your life. And when the opportunity presents itself, share Christ.